Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a bi-weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode number three, and we are recording on Monday, October 5th. I'm Amanda Nelson, your host and the managing editor of Book Riot, and I'm here with Danica Ellis. Danica runs the lesbian and bisexual woman book club, The Lesbrary, which is the greatest name of a blog I've ever heard in my life, uh, as well as its Tumblr counterpart, which is F Yeah Lesbian Literature, except the F is spelled out. But I don't want to say it because I don't want to lose my non-explicit rating on iTunes. Um, so you can check that out on Tumblr. She's also a booktube, a booktuber and a book write contributor. And during the day, she runs the kids section of Russell, Russell Books, which is the largest used bookstore in Canada. Welcome to my show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yay, I'm so excited. So this is the LGBTQ episode-ish, sort of. The first three or four questions that we have are related to LGBTQ lit, which is why, obviously, I have Danica come on, because she is an expert in this area. Uh, The last two questions are not necessarily related, but they are time-sensitive, so I did want to get them in. So uh, if you are unfamiliar with the show... Uh, This is Get Booked, obviously. The way that it works is you send me your reading recommendation requests. They can be for you, your book club. You need a recommendation for a gift for somebody. Doesn't matter. Uh, Anything like that, send it to me, and I will answer it on the show and give you recommendations. And It's a bi-weekly podcast, so we're up every two weeks, and every other week I have a new guest who is an expert in the theme of the week to help me answer your recommendation questions. So if you have a rec uh, that you need answered, you can either give it to me on Twitter at I'm Amanda Nelson. You can email it to the show, getbooked at bookwrite.com, or you can go on to bookwrite.com onto the, the podcast section, go into any of the episodes, and there's a form at the bottom of every post where you can drop in your request there too. So uh, before we get started, I wanted to remind all of you that Book Riot Live is upcoming November 7th, 7th and 8th. Book Riot Live presented by BookWitty. This is our two-day reader conference extravaganza fun zone. I just made that up. Conference extravaganza fun zone. That's not official. Don't tell anyone I said that. Uh, the the thing that I wanted to talk to you about, about Book Riot Live today really quickly, is just about the interactive kind of nature of the show. I don't know if y'all have been to many book conferences, but I have. And it's a lot of like sitting and wandering and standing in line. You don't really like participate in anything or talk to um, the authors much, except when you're getting your book signed. But that's really not what we wanted to do with Book Riot Live. So we're really focusing on having the the people who are coming be participants in the in the the fun and not just a witness. So a lot of our panels will incorporate your participation. We're going to do a live performance of Shakespeare's Star Wars called Alas Naughty Droid. I am going to be an Ewok, I guess. We'll see. I don't know. I, I rumor has it that I'm going to be an Ewok. We're going to bookish Jeopardy. We're going to have Pictionary, and the the teams will be hosted by um, two comic book artists. So that's going to be a lot of fun. This show, Get Booked, and also Dear Book Nerd, will be recording live at Book Riot Live. Actually, all of our podcasts will be recording live at Book Riot Live. But this show and Dear Book Nerd will be taking audience questions. And my guest um, will be Sarah McLean, the romance novelist who I love with many loves. 
and we will be taking audience questions there. So if you're coming to Book Riot Live and you have you need a romance reading request, take note of it and give it to us and we're there and we'll answer it on the air. We're also hosting a Wattpad writing contest uh, judged by Margaret Atwood. So if you write fan fiction of Margaret Atwood's newest book, The Heart Goes Last, uh, and submit it to our Wattpad writing contest, Atwood's going to judge all of it along with the Book Riot staff. And winners, the top stories will be read by her and Book Riot staff at Book Riot Live. And you'll also win some prizes. We're going to have an operating library. You bring in a book, trade it in the library on Saturday. On Sunday, pick up a new-to-you book and take it home. There'll be photo booths and zine tables and lots of cool stuff for you to participate in with all your book nerd buddies. So you can take $20 off your full registration with a discount note, discount code GETBOOKED, one word, specifically for people who listen to this podcast. So um, yeah, just go to bookwritelive.com, sign up with GETBOOKED and get 20 bucks off. And we will see you guys on Bookwrite Live, or on November 7th and 8th at Bookwrite Live, presented by BookWitty. Woo! Okay. So I'm going to read question one and question two because they're kind of related, and then I'll do our first sponsor, and then we'll get to the answers. Sounds good? Yes? Danica, are you still there? All right, good. (laughs) All right, so uh, question one A and one B, sort of. Hello, Get Booked. I was writing for your new book recommendations podcast. I'm looking to read more diverse books, and I wondered if you could recommend a book with a transgender protagonist, which is not a memoir or a story about transitioning or being transgender. I'm looking for one where that is incidental to the plot, just a part of the character doing other interesting things, any genre. Thanks in advance. And that one is from Chris. And then the second question which is kind of related I love these kind of questions that are really just like directives like one line (laughs) there's no other details so this was from uh Tysa I'm sorry if I said that wrong but it's fiction books written by trans people about trans characters love it very direct okay so before we get to the answers I want to talk about our first sponsor and that is Penguin Random House Audio do you listen to audiobooks at all Danica I do all the time yes I love audiobooks so much because I mean, I could, any time where I'm doing something that doesn't really require me to focus, like cooking or obviously driving or like doing yard work or cleaning my house, like just boring grunt kind of stuff, I listen to an audiobook. And uh, are you in a book club? Well, it's not even the one not. that you run, obviously. No, no, not yet, at least. I I am. I love my book club. We meet once a month. And well, it's kind of really just an excuse to have brunch and like drink mimosas, but whatever. Um, but audiobooks are really great for book clubs. If you want a reason to get together with your friends and talk about books on a regular basis, but you don't necessarily think you have the time to work another book, especially one that maybe you didn't pick into your reading schedule, audiobooks are a great way to do that because then you're not, you're not dedicating your, you know, your sit down and read and flip pages time to a book that you didn't select, but you can still get it in. Also, listening to an audiobook adds another dimension to the conversation in your book club because if you listen to it while everyone else reads it, you really took it in in a different way and probably experienced the story in a way that other people didn't. A couple of my book club members only listen to, they share an Audible account and they only listen to the the books um, on audio. So they always have something interesting to say about the narrators and how they felt about the story always ends up being totally different than whatever my experience was. So if you don't have a book club or you do have one and you don't know what to pick um, or you want to know how to start one, you can go to penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club. They've got tons of, of suggestions, including Elizabeth Gilbert's new book, Big Magic. 
uh, Creative Living Beyond Fear, which I'm listening to right now, and I love it so much. I honestly did not love Eat, Pray, Love. I actually kind of hated it, um, like with the fire of a thousand burning suns. But I loved her her most recent novel, the name of which is totally not in my brain. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I don't remember it. It was huge, and it was about like a, a middle-aged woman who was a scientist in the Victorian era who was obsessed with moss, and it was great. Anyway, that's enough information for you to find it, but her new book is called Big Magic, and it's about her theories of creativity, and I'm super loving it. Anyway, so you can go to penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club, get suggestions for your book club, for audiobooks for book club, tip, tips for how to start it, how to pick a theme, all sorts of stuff. So thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right answers. I'm tired of listening to my own voice. So let's get on with it. So these are um, books about transgender characters where they're doing something other than transitioning and or fiction books written by trans people about about trans characters. I'm actually going to let you go first because I'm tired of talking. Okay, sure. I actually just uh, made a list sort of about this on my Tumblr, um, which is about trans books by trans authors. It's mostly biographies, but there's some other ones as well. So I think that'll be in the show notes. I want to do that. Um, but my first one I'm going to recommend is The Collection, edited by Tom Licker. This is published by Topside Press, and they've done a bunch of amazing books they've put out with trans authors. This is an anthology, so I think it's a really good place to start to kind of experiment with some different authors. If you like something, you can go on and read more by them. And it's just really high-quality writing throughout. Like, usually when I pick up an anthology, there's some that I feel like are a little bit shaky, but this one was solid through the whole thing. It's mostly realistic literary fiction, but there's some, I think there's some sci-fi, there's some fantasy in there. And it's so well done. There's one story that's just about, like, a morning shift at a coffee shop, but it makes it feel through all the microaggressions that they have. Like, it's just like a circle of hell. It's so well done. That would be my first one I would recommend. Circle of Hell as Coffee Shop. That's <laughs> yeah. That sounds so great. <laughs> All right. My first pick is Nevada by Imogen Biney. Ooh, I hate that. I should really say these people's names out loud before <laughs> I start recording. I think it's Biney. So Nevada by Imogen Biney. This is a book about um, a girl, well, not girl, a woman. She's 29. So a woman named Maria who lives in New York. And she transitions several years before the book starts, so there's uh, you're not like in her her transitioning process. She's done it already. She's a, a couple of years into a relationship with her girlfriend, and then um, her relationship kind of falls apart. She's been working at a bookstore for several years, and she hates her job. And the bookstore kind of sounds exactly like The Strand to me. I don't I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, you guys read it and then tell me if you agree with me, but it really sounds like The Strand to me. Anyway, so Maria works at The not The Strand, and um, breaks up with her girlfriend and goes on this kind of epic quest to get her stuff together. And the thing that I really loved about this book is she is so hipster. Like, she's this, like, crust punk hipster who is, like, totally cynical and jaded and hates everything in this really snarky, smart hilarious way and her voice is just so great it's so great it's full of likes and whatevers and you can just feel her uh, I don't know like her she wants to be happy and she wants to be um I guess more positive but she's a crust punk in Manhattan who hits her job and just broke up with her girlfriend so there's nothing really to be happy about and just that struggle 
comes through with her in her voice so well. So she does have, um, I mean, she is trans. So there's, there's stuff about that, about that in her life, because that, you know, that kind of stuff just shows up in her life. She has to think about microaggressions. She has to think about remembering to take her medication and all that kind of thing. But it's not about transitioning. And it's really more about her going on this journey to get her stuff together as a grown up than it is about anything else. And I really loved it. So yeah, Devada is one of my favorite books. I really love that one too. She's so grudgy. <laughs> She's my favorite yeah. grudgy character I ever. <laughs> I, I really love especially like women main characters that are just grouchy and irritable and kind of mean. They're my favorite. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, my next recommendation is Lost Boy by Sassafras Lowry, and that's Boy B-O-I. Um, this one is not for everyone. It's like a queer trans punk BDSM retelling of Peter Pan. That's amazing. <laughs> Which, like, I feel like just there will tell you whether you should read this book or not. Um, but the way that the author kind of plays with the original Peter Pan story but puts it in this, like, punk urban setting, it works so well. Like, it feels so true to the original story, even though everything about it is changed. Um, and it's a good one that, that has pretty much all trans characters, but it's more about that Peter Pan story than it is about that. Um, and it's also interesting because Sassafras Lowry, I think that their first book was Kicked Out, which is an anthology about homeless queer youth. So the main characters in this book are homeless trans queer teens. Um, and even though it's in that kind of fantastical setting, it's treated really seriously at the same way. Uh, there's a lot going on in this book, but it's so well done. There is that BDSM aspect, so if you're not comfortable with that, you probably won't be comfortable with this book. It's not like a, in a lot of detail or anything, but I will put that warning out there. Okay, my next one's actually a romance. It's called Burnt Toast B&B, and it's by Heidi Ballou and Rachel Hamowitz. And <laughs> speaking of grumpy characters, so the main, <laughs> the main character or one of the main characters of this book, is a guy who owns a bed and breakfast that he, he inherited from his parents who have just died. And he's running it into the ground. He's a, like a literal lumberjack, like a, a man who works in the forest chopping down trees. So he's a lumberjack. And he doesn't know how to deal with like this doily making breakfast, cleaning <laughs> up after people, floral print kind of stuff of this bed and breakfast. And it, he feels like it's almost kind of an insult to his manhood in a way. He's also gay. So that throws a wrench into that a little bit. And then... Um, he decides he wants to close the B&B down. But the same day he makes that decision, uh, a guy shows up on his front de uh, his front porch, homeless, kind of. So the town that he lives in is hosting the uh, filming of a, um, not a sitcom, but a TV show. And so all of these L.A. Hollywood types have invaded the town. And the guy standing on his front porch is a stunt actor who has had an accident on set and broken an arm. And so he's out of work for a while and needs a super cheap place to stay, doesn't care about, you know, the food or whatever. And so he worms his way into this guy's bed and breakfast to stay there. And they start to kind of become attracted to each other in a way that you will with someone who's hot and also the only other person in the house with you. Um, and the actor is trans and eventually that comes out as their attraction to each other becomes more apparent. And so the thing that I really enjoyed about this one is it's not about um, Ginsburg as the character's name is trans and Derek is the grumpy lumberjack. It's not about Ginsburg's 
transition or anything like that. It's several years after he's transitioned and is just living his life and is a happy guy doing his thing. It's it's the person with the issues is really Derek, Derek the lumberjack. He's got issues about gender and sexual identity. Um, and Ginsburg is the character who really helps him kind of deal with all that. And he invades his life in this really awesome, loving, energetic way, helps him bring the business back. Uh, and it's really just about the two of them falling for each other. And it's very sweet. And I liked it a lot. And yeah, so that's Burnt Toast B&B. There you go. Okay. Uh, my next one would be, is a short story. It's Lizzie and Annie by Casey Platt. Uh, I read it in it's kind of like a zine format, like just staple bound. And it has these beautiful watercolor illustrations that I think are by Annie Mock. Uh, but it's also available in A Safe Girl to Love, which is a short story collection by Casey Platt. And it's just about like the first couple of days in the relationship of Lizzie and Annie, who are two trans women who are dating. I think it's in New York. And it's mostly what I loved about this story are the conversations that they have. Lizzie and Annie talk about racism and sexism, trans misogyny, but also like Facebook and hangovers and how <laughs> weird one of their dads is. Like it, it just felt so realistic to like the way that me and my friends talk and, and what people actually talk about. It was one of the stories where I finished it and I felt really angry that I hadn't read something like that before and that I don't see more of it. It kind of made me realize how unrealistic uh, a lot of the dialogue that I read in books are. So I'm really excited to read more of Casey Platt's books. I haven't read the whole A Safe Girl to Love collection, but that story itself is just perfect. That's how I felt about Nevada, that, like, yeah. finally, like, this is a girl who thinks how I, like, her internal monologue is so identical to the way that mine runs, and I'd never encountered that before. Yeah, exactly. So that was great. Um, okay, my next pick for this is Beautiful, beautiful bleh, I can speak, Beautiful <laughs> Music for Ugly Children by Kristen Caroon Mills, who is not trans, the other, uh, and I don't think Heidi Bluey is either, but, um, so this would not be for the first question or the second the second person who wrote in asking for books by trans people about trans characters but this would be for the first one because the character the main character is a trans kid or a ball kid senior in high school you know young adult whatever um and he has just recently come out to his family and his best friend but not necessarily everyone in his town and he's kind of waiting to, to leave and go off and live his life and get a job somewhere else and move away so that he can start his life over. Um, but in this book, he uh, starts a radio show. And the book is so much about this kid and music and starting this radio show. And he enters, he enters a contest with, uh, well, his best friend enters him into a contest, but whatever. Um, he enters a contest for another radio show out of town, um, which would really give him an opportunity to leave and start over if he got this job. Uh, so it's kind of about the transitioning because he's just come out right before the book starts. Um, but it's really m more about how much this kid just loves music and wants to get out into the world and do his own thing with his dream, which I really loved and appreciated. And it's got some really awesome secondary characters. The kid's best friend is his neighbor, who's like a 70-year-old drunk former DJ rock star. <laughs> And he's pretty awesome. So, um, yeah. So that's Beautiful Music for Ugly Children. Let me know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the last one I was going to recommend, I haven't actually read myself yet, but I've heard so many recommendations for it. Uh, it's The Unintentional Time Traveler by Everett Maroon. And it's about a teenager named Jack who has epilepsy, and he is participating in a clinical trial for treatment, and this is in the 1980s. And he finds out that his seizures are sending him back in time. <laughs> and uh, when he is time traveling, he is inhabiting the body and the life of Jacqueline. And it's about him kind of being stuck in between these two times and two lives. When he is back in time, he falls in love, but he keeps kind of get thro getting thrown back and forth between these two timelines. And I've heard just amazing things about this book. I know that I think the most common request that I get on Tumblr or to do with queer books is about a queer or trans book that isn't just about coming out or transitioning, but mm. especially like fantasy and sci-fi. Um, and so I think this book would be a really good way to start to fill that void because I think that's what both people seem to be looking for is that kind of narrative. So that's a good place to start. Okay, my last one, and this is the last one for this question, is more for Tysa, who's looking for trans uh, characters written by trans people. And it's this is new. It just came out. It's George by Alex Gino. Um, so it's still in hardcover. And this is actually a kid's book. And the book is about discovering or coming to grips with her identity as a girl. And it's it's kind of heartbreaking a little bit because she's in fourth grade, I think. Have you read this yet? I haven't yet, but I've heard okay. so many things about it. Yeah, it's really great. Um, and hard. <laughs> this was hard for me to read. I'm, I'm, I've got two kids and I, it actually was really thought provoking for me because I had never really considered what would I do or how would I handle, uh, handle the situation where my sons came to me and told me that they were assigned the wrong gender at birth. And so, uh, in this book, he's, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, I'm messing up the pronouns. With the, it's because of the title. She is in fourth grade, and it's just about how much she loves the book Charlotte's Web. And her class is putting on this play, and she wants to play Charlotte because she knows that she's a girl, despite the fact that her name is George, and she has a boy's haircut, and she hasn't told her mom yet, and she hasn't told anybody yet. Um, and so that situation of wanting to play Charlotte in the play is what really pushes her to tell her mother what's been going on in her life and her brother and her best friend. And so um, not everyone in the book immediately reacts positively to what George tells them, which is probably, I mean, a mirror of reality. And that's what really got me to thinking, like, your first immediate reaction to that as a parent to what your kid is telling you in that moment is so important because that's what's going to stick with them, even if you could do better and, like, try to fix it as you go along. Of course, I mean, of course that matters, but you really kind of got to watch what you're saying when you're, when your child who's only nine or 10 says something like that to you. So, um, I don't just recommend that for somebody who's, you know, looking for a book of, about trans characters or by a trans author. Like everybody needs to read this, especially if you've got kids, even if you don't, you know, I mean, if you've got nieces, nephews, if you know a human child, please go read George by Alex Dito. Uh, so that's my last recommendation for that or that question those two questions all right so moving on question number two please recommend good ya lgbt books uh and slash or good ya books with asian characters and this person uh, his name is rick has already read more happy than not and simon versus the homo sapiens agenda so good ya lgbt books slash and or 
um, good books with Asian characters. And I have one with both. Yay! I love when I could do that. So Huntress by Melinda Lowe is both has LGBTQ characters and is also Asian, kind of. So it's fantasy, fantasy YA, and it takes place in a land that is, you know, otherworldly, but it's very obviously based on Asian cultures. Um, And the characters are obviously Asian. And so, man, I love this book so much. (laughs) Yori, you have one by her also, but it's not the same one. Have you read Huntress? I have, and I really liked that one too. I mean, all of hers are great. I saw her speak once and I was just like, put your brain in my brain, be my yeah. friend. I'm probably being like really creepy and like standing really close to you and I'm sorry, but whatever. <laughs> um, so the main character in this book go- goes on this like epic, in the, in the vein of the best of fantasy novels, goes on this like epic quest to save the world from supernatural evil um, and has to travel with a, like a fellowship and band of merry friends to the edge of her the, her world to where the maps end and travel into fairyland to find out why um her her land is stuck in eternal winter basically and food has stopped growing everything's falling apart and they know that it has something to do with what's going on in this this fairy world on the other side of where their world kind of stops and one of the people that she's traveling with is a girl from her school who has had a vision of the two of them falling in love. And um, she doesn't tell her that. Like, the girl who has the vision does not tell the other girl that that's what, what happened in her in her vision. And that's kind of her thing, is she can see the future and she has all these supernatural powers and ability to manipulate energy and all this kind of stuff. And so it's uh, there's a lot of questions of, like, fate. And um, if you know what's coming, can you change it? Do you want to change it? Like, what would you do if you knew who you were going to fall in love with, but also knew that something bad might happen to them and that you're kind of leading them to what could possibly be their doom. And so it's not just about watching the two of them fall in love and what happens there, but also um, what do you do when you know that the person that you have feelings for is making decisions that are going to endanger them? And so it's very like suspenseful and like my heart dissolved into a bottle of goo more than once because you're like you're just you I loved both of these characters so much and I didn't want anything bad to happen to them but it kind of has to for them to yeah. to grow and anyway it's really great so that's Huntress by Melinda Logo read it great fantasy way I loved it so much yeah it's really good um my first one I was going to recommend is my favorite young adult book it's The Miseducation of Cameron Post by Emily M. Danforth and it's just so beautifully written um the author describes this as a coming of gauge novel (laughs) (laughs) so good so it's not really like a coming out story it's more just like a a growing up story but basically on the first page um you have cameron cam uh, kiss a girl for the first time and that same day she finds out that both of her parents have died while they're on vacation Uh, yeah and her first react like her immediate reaction was relief that she didn't have to tell them and then immediate guilt for feeling that reaction first and it's like the whole book is just her trying to deal with her sexuality but also that grief um it's at some point she is she has to be raised by her really strictly religious aunt and at some point she goes to a like a pray away the gay type camp um which is really difficult to read about, but Emily on Danforth is so good 
at writing it, like she somehow makes those characters who are running the camp and who are obviously not doing the right thing, you can see why they're doing it. And they're almost sympathetic, even though the whole situation is terrible. Um, this book is almost 500 pages, and I finished it just wishing there were like 300 more at the end. It's so well written. Wow. Wishing there were 300 more pages. That's a vote of confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, my next pick for this uh, question is Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin Lire Sines. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. I just finished this actually this week, and it is my new best book friend. I'm obsessed (laughs) with it. It's so amazing and heartbreaking and just, oh, my soul. Okay, so Aristotle and Dante are two kids, uh, Mexican-American kids growing up in El Paso, I think. Um, they meet at a community pool one day. They're both loners. That was kind of weird. Uh, Aristotle has an older brother who's gone away to prison for, for a crime that you don't find out what it is for a long time in the book. Um, and his family, uh, it, it takes place in the 80s. So his family has a lot of issues outside of that. His father is a Vietnam War vet who's come home carrying, you know, that weight and doesn't really talk to him. Um, and he's got older sisters, but they're out of the house already. So it's really just him and his silent father and his mom who is trying the best that she can. And he doesn't have any friends. Uh, and Dante is like this artsy, nerdy, weird kid. Also, not a lot of friends. So they meet at the pool. They become, uh, fast friends, surprisingly, because Aristotle's kind of a mean kid. Um, but Dante doesn't seem to mind. And then as the story progresses, Dante falls in love with Aristotle very openly, um, Aristotle's not down with that, not comfortable with it, and you kind of follow, I'm trying not to give away spoilers, you follow (laughs) their friendship as Dante goes away for a year, Um, Aristotle realizes how much he misses him, when he comes back, Dante is uh, the victim of a hate crime, he gets beat up by a bunch of kids who catch him kissing another boy, and Aristotle has to deal with that with his best friend um, being savagely beaten. Uh, Aristotle himself has a lot of issues with violence. So it's just a lot of, like, angsty kid angst. You know, like, just rage and anger and family stuff and figuring out who you love and learning to accept yourself for who you love and and dealing with your family problems. And just, like, all of everything that a teenager deals with is in this book. And it just brought up all of these memories of being, like, 16 and hating everything and wanting to hurt everyone for no reason, just because anger and rage. Uh, Anyway, Aristotle is my favorite character that I've read in forever. Like, the things that he says are just so poignant and so perfect. And just, I love when when a writer can encapsulate a feeling common to all of humanity in, like, just a few words. And that happens in this book more than once. And it's lovely. So... There you go. Uh, my next one is Silhouette of a Sparrow by Molly Beth Griffin. Uh, this is another lesbian young adult book. It's set in the 1920s in the U.S. And it's about a girl named Garnet, who is a bird enthusiast. Um, and throughout the book in the chapter headings, there's different silhouettes of different bur- birds that she has cut out because that's kind of the only way that she can express this interest in a suitably feminine way in the 1920s Um, and it's about her it's a a little bit of a love story she kind of falls in love with a flapper but it's mostly about her trying to balance family obligations with her own 
identity and being true to herself because her mother is really pressuring her to get married to support the family and to support her mom and uh, without getting married and having this source of income uh, there isn't really any way that she can support her family so it's this really interesting um, exploration of that topic because I think a lot of especially queer books you have this idea of like well you just have to be true to yourself like no matter what the consequences Mm -hmm. and this one like actually kind of explores a little bit more like what does that mean if you have other obligations and like what are you willing to sacrifice and what isn't worth sacrificing so it's also so well written like especially the first couple of pages just read like poetry it's really well done all right i'm gonna do one more for this and then we'll get one more for you because we're going long here um (laughs) So my last track for LGBTQIA is Everything Leads to You by Nina LaCour, which I got in our Young Adult Quarterly Box, which is curated by Kelly Jensen, who's our associate editor at Book Riot and who is a former YA librarian. And so I had never heard of it. And then it came in my YA box and sounded so great. It's got a really pretty cover. Anyway, so this is... The thing I love about this book is the setting. It takes place in Hollywood. And the, the main character, the girl, is a uh, set designer in LA. And I know no, I have never been to California. I've never been to Hollywood. Um, I spent like a week once in Wyoming and that's as far west as I've ever gone uh, past the Mississippi. Everything over there scares me. Um, <laughs> but I just love it. Like it's so warm and all the, the movie stars. She just captures this um, like old school Hollywood feeling in this book in a way that I really, really loved. And so this, the girl, the main character is a set designer and she goes off to um, kind of a, I I guess he's supposed to be a a John Wayne kind of corollary who has recently died. This big famous Western actor recently died. So she goes to his house uh, to the estate sale to get stuff for her set. And when she's there, she buys a record, a a Patsy Cline record. And when she goes home and uh, goes home and opens it, a letter falls out um, that the John Wayne character has written to a mystery woman saying like, upon my death, deliver this letter to mystery woman. So the girl and her friends go on this epic quest to locate the mystery woman. And in doing so, they find John Wayne, but not John Wayne's granddaughter. And so a bit of a romance blossoms between John Wayne, not John Wayne's granddaughter and the main character. And there's a whole plot about uh, a film that they're both working on, um, and I love, this is one of the, not few, I don't want to say few because that's overstating, but um, one of the not many, I guess, <laughs> YA books out there where the parents are completely moronic or dead, uh, yeah. which I appreciate, you know, the older I get, the more I appreciate YA novels with parents who aren't horrible. Um, I mean, I understand, absolutely understand why YA exists where parents are horrible because some parents are just horrible and kids need to read about that and um, see that in books. Uh, But I would like to know what to do when my kids are teenagers. (laughs) So I appreciate having parents who don't suck. And the parents in this book are great. Um, Pretty much all the adults in this, in this book are great. And it's a lot to do with her career in Hollywood. The main character, she's coming out of high school, wants to follow her dreams. Anyway, it's got a little bit of everything and it's got a nice West Coast vibe. So that's everything leads to you in the core. Let's get one more rec from you. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to mention uh, Melinda Lowe, one adaptation, but I'll skip that. 
Uh, I'm going to recommend Prairie Ostrich by Tamai Kobayashi, and this is also one that has queer characters and uh, Asian protagonists. Uh, and it's about a family who is in Alberta in the 1970s, and they're basically the only Asian family in this rural town. Uh, and the main character is an eight-year-old who's nicknamed Egg, and it's about her family that is recovering from the death of her brother and how that basically just shattered their family. Her parents are pretty much useless and she's just being raised by her older sister who she completely idealizes. Um, and you realize through Egg's eyes that Kathy, the older sister, is dating her best friend Stacy, uh, but Egg doesn't really realize this and you see how that relationship is treated in, you know, the 1970s prairie, and also just Egg struggling to try to fix her life and her family and try to figure out how to put the pieces back together. It's one of those really understated books. It's got grief throughout the whole story, but you have to just feel for Egg and how much she is trying to just make everything okay again. So that's another one I would recommend. All right, let's go ahead and do our second sponsor because it is a young adult novel and we are at a nice place. I like a good segue. um, All right, our second sponsor is Only Ever Yours by Louise O'Neill, which has been described to me as The Handmaid's Tale meets Mean Girls. And so I am automatically here for it. The Handmaid's Tale meets Mean Girls. So here for it. So uh, in this book, women are created only for the pleasure of men and their first duty is staying beautiful. Uh, Women aren't born naturally any longer. They're called, girls are called Eves and are raised in schools that are, are specifically created to train girls in the art of pleasing men. And they stay in these schools until they come of age. Uh, two girls in the schools, Frida and Isabel, are best friends. They're 16, and so they're in their final year. And they're expecting to be selected as companions, which is just a term for wives to powerful men in that kind of handmaid's tale sort of way. All they have to do to have a great life is ensure that they stay in the top 10 most beautiful girls in their year. If they don't, The only alternatives are to either live as a concubine or to live as what they call a chastity, which is just a teacher, and neither of them want to do that. But as the intensity of their last year of school takes hold, the pressure to be perfect gets harder and harder to deal with. Isabel starts to self-destruct, putting her beauty in peril. Of course, that's her only asset. Um, And then into this kind of sealed female environment, all these boys arrive, eager to pick a bride. So Frida has to fight for her future, even if it means betraying her only friend and the only love she's ever known. This is a really suspensable young adult novel that deals a lot with um, body image, feminism, and the concept of around like coming of age. It's got a dystopian treatment. And it's a debut novel from an Irish author, Louise O'Neill, who herself has struggled with anorexia. And so she brings that to bear uh, to the books uh, dealing with body image. And uh, the book has already been optioned to be a movie, so you can keep your eye out for that. In the future, it's already won tons of awards, including the Children's Book Award from Children's Books Ireland, the Lancashire Book of the Year Award, and more. So check out Only Ever Yours by Louise O'Neill, and thank you for sponsoring the show. All right, moving on. Question three. I am There's no name on this, so sorry, nameless questioner. 
I'm answering it, but I don't know who you are. So, okay. I'm very excited about this new podcast and will try to make a concise request. Thank you. I would like some more recommendations for LGBTQ literature. This year I've read Giovanni's Room, which was beautiful and made me cry. Tipping the Velvet, which was a fast, which was fascinating historical lesbian fiction and redefining realness, which was eye-opening. I would love more recommendations. Thanks in advance. Okay. So, it seemed to me like this uh, questioner was looking more for kind of literary fiction, so I stuck mostly with that. My first recommendation is Song of Achilles um, by Madeline Miller. This is a retelling of the Iliad, and Madeline Miller is a was a classics, I think, high school teacher. So it is amazing, like capital A, amazing. And it's retold as a kind of romance between um, Achilles and Patroclus, who in the Iliad is his... Not, not armor bearer, but like his companion, traveling companion. And people will argue with you about whether or not the two of them are supposed to be a couple, but it seems pretty obvious to me that they are when I read the Iliad. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, so uh, this is a retelling of that story focusing on that relationship. And the thing that I really liked about the Song of Achilles is that it's not, um, she doesn't take out the supernatural elements, so all of that mythology is still there, but it really humanizes both Achilles and Patricus. Achilles in the Iliad is hella annoying. I don't know if uh, I can say that. <laughs> like, please don't come for me, Achilles fans, whatever. But he's kind of whiny, right? Like, if he doesn't get his way, he throws temper tantrums and whatever. He, he's, he's really arrogant. Um, but the song of Achilles makes him really sympathetic, which is hard to do because I was not here for sympathizing with Achilles. He gets on my nerves. Um, but it's told from the point of view of, Patric of Patroclus, who loves him, and so you can't help but love him. And that's a really great feat, I think, of writing, to make a person love someone who isn't real through the eyes of someone else. Um, love someone who isn't real who I also already didn't like uh, through the eyes of somebody else. So that's The Song of Achilles. If you like literary fiction, check this one out. Um, you don't really have to have read the Iliad first. I, I, some people ask me that. Uh, if you need to have read Homer before you read this, the answer is no. I think uh, most of us are familiar enough with the the stories of the Iliad and the Odyssey just because of pop culture, that you don't really have to read the original. Um, though I do, I do recommend it. It's fun. It's nice to be able to say that you've done it, but you don't need to have done it to read the song, to read the song of Achilles. All right, what you got? Uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> They've already read Tipping the Velvet, but I still have to recommend more Sarah Waters books because she's my favorite author and I can't resist. Um, so if you liked Tipping the Velvet, you should definitely read Fingersnap, which is one of my favorite books of all time. It's about two women in Victorian England. There's Sue, who's a fingersmith, which basically just means a thief, and Maud, who's kind of like an heiress. And Sue is going to pose as, Maud, as Maud's maid um, in order to get her to marry Mr. Rivers and cheat her out of her fortune. So that's the, the original plan. Um, and then things kind of go awry when Maud and Sue get to know each other. I mean, it's, it's a lesbian book, so it's not <laughs> a spoiler to say that they fall in love with each other. Um, but I can't really say anything more about the plot. That wouldn't be a spoiler, but it's the most like intricately put together, twisting but I think this would be really great, actually, to read in the winter or in October. It's got that kind of, like, claustrophobic feel to it. And uh, it just fits together so nicely. It's so satisfying at the end to see how everything wraps up. Yeah. 
awesome. Okay, my next one is a, a classic. By this point, I think we can say that. It's The Color Purple by Alice Walker. It was written in the 80s, so whatever. Take your definition of classic, grain of salt, all of that. But I think that it's a classic. Um, so, And it's also a movie which I'm sure that you have at least heard of, if not seen. But first, it was a book written in 1982. It's an epistolary novel. It's won the Pulitzer Prize. It takes place in the 30s in rural Georgia. And the main character is Celie. She is, I think, 14 or 13 or 14. Anyway, young teenager who is sexually assaulted by her, her father um, more than once and has two children who were taken from her. Um, and after that, she is kind of married off to a horribly abusive man who has children of his own um, whose wife has died. So she goes to live with him. His name is Mr. Uh, his long-term mistress... Suge, who's a singer, comes to live with them when she's taken ill, and Suge and Celie develop a relationship. Um, Celie falls in love with Suge and eventually kind of develops the courage to leave Mr. And this takes place over Celie's lifetime. So I'm saying it all like very quickly as if it happens in like a week or whatever, but it doesn't. It takes place over years and years and years. And uh, Celie and Suge's relationship is super multifaceted. They're, they're together and then they're not, and they're together and then they're not. Um, and there's a lot uh, going on here with race. Every woman in this book is a woman of color who is just ground down. And they fight back in the ways that they can in 1930s Georgia. So it's a, it's a difficult read from the point of view of, like, just lots of hard stuff happens, you know. Um, but it's, it's hopeful and the relationships are, especially the relationships between the women, are supportive and fascinating and... Um, they're, they're just, like, doing the best that they can. Um, and then there's a whole side plot about missionaries in Africa, and it's just very complex, and I don't want to spoil it if you haven't read it or seen the movie, um, which is, it's a, like, a great movie. I really like it. I don't know. Um, I don't always hold with, like, the book is always better, um, but I think this, the, this movie is, is maybe on par, maybe just as good. I don't know. Please don't hurt me. Um, but if you... Uh, really enjoyed Giovanni's Room, which is also, I think, considered kind of a classic of the genre, then, yeah, try The Color Purple. Yeah, I just read The Color Purple this year, and it's amazing. Oh, God, it's so good. Loved it. Uh, I want to recommend The Summer We Got Free by Mia McKenzie. This one I only read about last month, but I loved it. It's about a family kind of who is haunted by their past. It's told in alternating chapters, so you get their present and their past, and basically you get to find out what happened to traumatize this family and how they fell apart. So you're reading the past chapters to try to figure out what event it was that they're still recovering from decades later. Um, and the main character, Ava, is when you see her in her childhood, she's this incredible, really dynamic, creative, just uncontrollable child that people immediately love when they meet her, but also kind of resent for being so free and vibrant. How dare um, you? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and, then, and then you see her as an adult and she is completely closed off and like her whole personality has been washed out and you're trying to put together what happened in between to turn this kid into this adult. Uh, she has entered into this loveless marriage 
Um, and then in, in the present day chapters, her husband's sister shows up who completely shakes everything up in their family and it starts to come out what happened and how they're going to move on from here. And the whole time I was reading it, it felt to me like the moments right before like a summer thunderstorm, like that completely charged atmosphere. It felt like that through the whole book. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It felt like a thunderstorm. (laughs) That should be a blurb. That's awesome. Okay. My last one for this question is called Sphinx by Anne Goretta. And she's a French author, so I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but the translator is Emma Ramadan. This book's, the book was actually written in the 80s, in 1986, but it's being translated now, obviously, by um, Deep Vellum is the publisher. So Anne Goretta, I think it's Goretta? Yeah, whatever. I'm just going to go with it. I'm going with it. Was one of the few female members of the Ulepo, which was this exclusive French like experimental literary group who wrote books based on these really extensive mathematical and linguistic restraints. So like there's one famous book that I don't remember the name of, but um, that's written by a member of the group entirely without the letter E anywhere in the book, um, which is like, ugh. but this one, Sphinx, she's the first female member of that literary group to have a book translated into English. And this one is a, it's a love story about two characters, a narrator and the person that the narrator is in love with. And the two main characters are never described with a gender marker ever. So you you never know if they're male or female at all. And so they fall in love for these, you know, hundreds of pages. And, and um, you just don't know. So I that conceit is what drives the book. But I actually didn't notice that I don't I'd like dove into the book without reading the back of it because I'm lazy. And then I didn't notice for for about like 50 pages. And then I started to realize, wait a minute, I, like I had no mental image of the characters, which I usually develop pretty quickly, even if I'm not given like a description, but I had, I just had nothing because I didn't have any gender markers. And so then I had to like sit and like interrogate that. Like, why do I need gender markers to develop a mental image of a character? That's so dumb. <laughs> um, but which was an interesting thing to realize about, about myself as a reader. The thing that I love about this book, aside from that, like a fantastically amazing, talented trick that she pulls off uh, is that it's this like seedy underbelly of Paris. Um, so the main character, the narrator, is a theology student who kind of ditches all of um, the classes that they're taking at the moment to instead go like DJ in all these disgustingly gross Paris nightclubs for reasons, because why not? Um, and then A, who is the, the person that the main character falls in love with, it's just like A, star, 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 is uh, the person's name, um, is a dancer. And so you follow them on their adventures and it, there's a lot of like obsession and desire and all of that stuff going on. It's a really um, ooh, like intense and obsessive. I don't know. I just keep using that word because it's true. Obsessive kind of love story wrapped up in this really interesting, fascinating um, literary trick that the author pulls off. So that's Sphinx from Deep Vellum. Right. One more um, from you? Yes. Okay. Um, the Last Nude by Ellis Avery. This is another 1920s book, and also one that's in Paris. Um, and it's a novel, it's about a real-life person, Tamara de Lempica, I'm probably saying that wrong, uh, who is a painter, like a, an amazingly talented painter. I've looked at her paintings afterwards. Um, and it's about this romance that she has with one of her models that's this really bittersweet um, romance. And 
I think the thing that worked for me the most in this book is that 1920s Paris setting. It's so interesting to read about. I don't know if it's just me, but I find the 1920s really fascinating. Um, and you get to see these historical figures like Gertrude Stein. Um, part of it takes place in like Shakespeare and Company, the bookstore, and it has this passionate drama of our relationship that I always find really interesting to read about. Um, so that would be my last recommendation for that one. All right. We have two bonus questions. These are questions that are kind of time sensitive. So I wanted to get them in before the reader's situation passed and it was no longer relevant to them. Um, so the first one uh, let's see, this is from... No name, don't have a name. Okay, so, hi, get booked. I'm due to have my first baby on October 16th. Congratulations. And I'm looking for good books to read that don't require a lot of brain space. We recently read The Count of Monte Cristo in my book group, and it made me realize how little concentration I currently have. I couldn't keep that many characters in my head at all. I'm looking for books that are well-written, but can be read in a zombie-esque, sleep-declined state. I'm not necessarily looking for new parent-type books. I normally read fiction, but like a, a wide range of genres excuse me historical crime literary fantasy whatever thanks for your help okay i feel this pain so my <laughs> twins are four years old and for the first year of their life i read nothing that required me to think hard at all or keep track of more than like three people um all i wanted to read was like plot driven books where nothing bad ever happens to children because <laughs> after having kids i became like super paranoid about that kind of thing so my first recommendation is the sweetness at the bottom of the pie by Alan Bradley. This is the first novel in a series of really fun mystery novels focusing on a main character, a little girl, I think she's 10. Her name is Flavia de Luce. She lives in 1950s England in a deteriorating manor house with her husband, or her husband, oh my god, she's 10 years old, her father, <laughs> and her father and her two sisters, and she's obsessed with chemistry, and so she wanders through this old falling apart mansion performing chemistry experience, uh, experiments and solving murders with chemistry. So it's a lot of fun. Um, the mysteries aren't super complicated or hard to follow, so you're not, you can put it down and pick it up and you won't need to go back and figure out what's going on. And there's a whole series, so it will carry you through all of those sleepless nights until your kid is sleeping through the night. So, and good luck with that. <laughs> so that's my first recommendation. Uh, I was thinking maybe short story collections, because then you can just concentrate for that little chunk of time, and then you don't have to remember those characters anymore. <laughs> Never uh, <laughs> So my first one I would recommend for short stories is Falling in Love with Hominids by Nalo Hopkinson. Uh, this is another one I just read recently, and it's so good. It's all kind of fantasy or magical realist. There's always just kind of one or two elements that are really weird and out of the ordinary. Uh, my favorite story was this great little domestic fantasy story about this gay couple and one of their chickens goes missing. And the whole <laughs> story is just them tracking down this chicken. And they have a flying cat. And what could be better than that? <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Um, my next pick is Ongoingness, The End of a Diary by Sarah Manguso. I know you said you, you don't need new parent-type books, but I think you should make an exception for this. It's not like, whatever, how to get your kid to eat broccoli. It's not like that at all. So it's very, very short and has very tiny, tiny chapters. Um, it's of The End of a Diary. Obviously, Sarah Manguso kept a meticulous daily diary for 25 years. It was 800,000 words. Then she became, she got pregnant, she had a kid, and suddenly couldn't 
right in her diary every day, you know, as happens when you have a child. And so it's a really spare and meditative kind of book about how she's losing that both the ability and the need to keep a meticulous record of everything that has ever happened to her. Um, so I read it shortly after my boys were born and it's an, it's such a fascinating reflection. Um, you'll have moments of like, yes, that's exactly what having a baby is like. Yes. Kill me now. Um, but the thing that I liked about it is that it will remind you that you're not permanently dumb. Like you're going to feel dumb after you have a baby because you, you'll be sleepless and you'll be, you know, especially if it's your first kid, you're not going to know what you're doing. And you feel like you're, you're just like, I don't know. I just felt really dumb when my boys were born. Like, I don't know how to do any of this. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't remember where I put my shoes. Where am I? What day is it? You know? And when you sit down and read this book and the chapters are so, so short, you can read it while, you know, while you're feeding your kid. Um, the things that it will make you think about will remind you that you're a smart person, which is, I think is really important after you have a child because you are a smart person and being sleep deprived does not mean you're stupid. It just means you're sleepy. Okay. Um, another one that I was thinking might work was My Education by Susan Choi. And this is another one of those completely dramatic relationship stories that are kind of like watching a train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm so interested in stories, but I am. Uh, it's about a young woman who goes to college, and there's kind of these rumors about a college professor who sleeps with the students. And she takes one of his classes and is really intrigued by this guy. Um, and then she also meets his wife. And those are basically the only three characters you need to know in the whole book. And it's just about uh, their relationships between the three of them. And it's all, I find it really easy to read because it has that dramatic uh, train wreck element. So it really just pulls you along. So like, oh my God, these are all terrible decisions. What are you going to do next? <laughs> I can't stop reading about you destroying your life. <laughs> exactly. All right. Bonus question number two. And this is our last question. For an upcoming readathon, I'm looking for short books or novellas that are not the usual classics, i.e., Old Man and the Sea, Heart of Darkness, etc., that you see on read these books in one day lists. Um, and that is from CJ. So short, short, short books to read in a readathon. And if you don't know, readathons are, they're usually like 24 hours when you sit down and you just read for 24 hours. Um, they're on social media. You can check hashtags, hashtag readathon. Um, so my first suggestion was Signs Preceding the End of the World by Yuri Herrera. And it's translated by Lisa Dillman. It's 128 pages. I read it in one sitting. Um, it's about this kick butt hardcore awesome girl who lives in Mexico who has to cross the border illegally into the U.S. to find her brother and while she's on that quest she is also running an errand for an underground like a crime boss kind of thing um he makes her do it in order to help her cross the border so she's not like a criminal but she has to do it to get there to find out what's happened to her brother um the book has a lot of underworldish elements both of the crime you know like crime world is the underworld but also like death, like Hades. She likes to get to the U.S. She crosses this horrible engorged river and is led by this very mysterious figure, you know. Um, so there's lots of parallels. So it's got kind of a weird supernatural feel, but it's not supernatural. Like nothing supernatural happens, but it's dealing with all of these big giant issues about um, like changing the way you think when you get into a new place because she has to 
um, change like the sentence structures in her head when she's when she's speaking English with people. And I had never read a book that short that deals with such big ideas in in such like no pages. And I keep saying I've talked about this book before on our YouTube channel, and I keep saying it's what I want Cormac McCarthy to be when I read Cormac McCarthy, but it never is. And that's exactly what it is. I wish Cormac McCarthy books were like this, but they're not. So instead, just read him. Yuri Herrera. Yeah. Uh, I would say two or three things I know for sure by Dorothy Allison. Um, this is, I think it's just 90 pages or so. She's most well known for Bastard Out of Carolina. Um, but this is a memoir of hers about growing up poor and queer in the American South. It's about uh, the abuse that she goes through as a child. Um, but it's really short, really short chapters, but it is pretty big subject matter. It packs a huge punch for how short it is. And there are still lines that it's been years since I read it, but there are still lines in that book that are still stuck in my brain and still come up now that I've accidentally memorized by reading it once. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's definitely worth the read. Um, I think that Parnassus on Wheels by Christopher Morley would be really great for this because it's a book about books. So for a readathon, it's appropriate. Um, I think it takes place in the 20s. Uh, maybe earlier than that. Time's gone by. How about that? Um, it's about a farmer's sister who is an adult. She runs the household um, while her brother farms. She has had a very kind of boring life living on the farm. And then a bookmobile, but not a bookmobile because it's pulled by horses. So like a book cart or a book carriage, whatever, <laughs> comes through town. And um, because her, her brother has written a book and has become suddenly like a famous author. So uh, this book cart comes through town to get uh, autographs of her brother. And she decides, you know what? She's going to go on an adventure. She's going to buy the book cart from the, the guy who's selling the books. And she's going to go sell some books. And she's going to leave the farm and live her life. And so she does. And it's just a lot of fun. It's very heartwarming. Um, if you love books, I find that people who are, who are into reading are, are generally into books about loving books and that's exactly what this is and there's like a a nice romance blossoms and you'll read it in an hour and it's just great fun and i'll just say anything um in melville house's art of the novella series would be great for a -a readathon because obviously novellas they're all super short and melville house is a great independent publisher they they pick really fantastic titles and parnassus on wheels is part of the art of the novella series so you can go onto the melville house website and just look at the art of the novella series and really just pick anything and it'll be a good pick um one i want i think is worth trying is sisterhood by julie r enzer this is actually a book of poetry but it's really accessible i feel like i read it during a readathon i could be wrong about that <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's a book about sisterhood and about um judaism and about just being a woman and sexism um but mostly I want to recommend it because there's one poem in here that I swear I think about pretty much every week. There is one mm-hmm. time where I think about this poem and it still is like, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> so if, anything that still affects you that much after you've put it down yeah. is something that like you have to recommend. Uh, I won't say which poem it is. And oh, I'll come on. If anyone else says <laughs> the same thing about it, maybe it's just me. <laughs> Well, that's the sign of a great poem, right? It sticks with you for fun. Yeah, exactly. I have that with, um, this is going to sound weird. Oh, Lord. Whatever. I'm going for it. Um, Billy Collins' poem, Taking Off Emily Dickinson's Clothes. (laughs) Have you read that? 
haven't. I don't it's so. so good. I mean, it sounds whatever, but it's just <laughs> amazing. It's an amazing poem. And I think about it probably once a week. And it's about literally what it sounds like. It's about <laughs> taking a medical But it's so affecting. And I just think I think about it constantly. It's bizarre. The workings of my mind. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so that's our show. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to all of the listeners who sent in these questions. And if you have read any of these books or if you have gotten our recommendations and you've been on previous shows and you've got feedback for us, do let us know. You can send it to us at getbooked@bookright.com. That's also where you can send your own recommendation requests or you can just drop them in the form uh, for this uh, episode, which will go up on bookriot.com. You can find me on Twitter at I'm Amanda Nelson, and you can find Danica at what's your Twitter? Uh, at Danica Ellis, so D A N I K A L L I S. It's probably the easiest place to find me on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, and check out her blog, The Lesbury, which is awesome. Uh, <laughs> if you have listened to these three episodes of Get Booked, because we're we're a baby show, so we've only got three episodes out. <laughs> Um, and you've liked it, please go rate us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. Or I guess if you didn't like it, you could rate it if you wanted to. If you wanted to be a puppy kicker who <laughs> likes to kill baby. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No matter how you feel about it, I'm interested in any and all feedback. So go rate us or review us on iTunes. Don't forget to register for get uh, for Book Riot Live with your code, get booked, and get $20 off. Our next episode in two weeks is all horror all the time. Becky Spratford is coming on to help me with that show. She's a librarian, an expert in reader's advisory. She's written a book called The Reader's Advisory's Guide to Horror, the second edition. She's also a member of the Horror Writers Association. So, perfect time to hear all about horror novels. And this is not my wheelhouse, so I'm super happy to have an expert on to help me with that. I'm also reading nothing but horror right now to prepare. So, all of my lights are on and I have like eight books in my freezer. That's <laughs> And thank you so much for being on the show, Danica, and I will talk to all of you later. Thank you. Bye.